great to see you here today and worshiping with us today. And if you're online, thank you for joining us also online. And when you're ready to come back, we're here uh, for you. All right. Uh, so I got some exciting news to tell you about something that happened in my house. I like to share just some things that are going on. So I had something really exciting and that is that I got a new phone. Got a new phone this, uh, this week. Yeah, I thought I'd get a little more, you know, encouragement from that. Uh, yeah, thank you. Woo! Come on. New phone. Uh, yeah, I got a, wait for it, I got an iPhone 11. Yeah, which is an upgrade from the iPhone 1 that I had. You know, so it, it, it's definitely an upgrade. And so it's exciting, you know, you pull it out of the box, you know, you're peeling off the little film on the screen. It's, that's all kind of fun. Uh, but at the same time, it can be a little frustrating, you know, because you got to figure out how to use this thing, right? So I'm like, where, number one, uh, on the iPhone 11, there is no home button, okay? So I, I'm trying to get home. There's no home button there. I can push it all day long. It's all about the swipes. You, you swipe right, you get something, swipe left. Uh, one of my girls swiped down like, whoa, what, what just happened? <laughs> the whole new thing comes up and you, when you swipe diagonal or whatever. So you got to figure out all the swipes. And then, of course, there's face recognition, which is cool, but doesn't work if you have a mask on. So I figured that out. And so you got all these things. You're trying to figure out how to make it work, right? And then, then you've got to put in your passwords. Oh, does anybody remember all their passwords? I mean, I'm like, all my passwords are on my old phone that I don't have anymore, right? And so like you're trying to figure out and there's nothing more frustrating than putting in a password. You think it's right, but then it doesn't accept it and then it won't work. And so it's exciting, but at the same time, you're holding something in your hand. You go, I know this thing is supposed to work, but I'm not really sure how to make it work. And that's how a lot of people feel about home life. That's a lot about how people feel about marriage. How do I make this work? I know it's supposed to work. I know everybody tells me this is supposed to work, but I'm not really sure how to make home work. And, and I really believe that during this COVID crisis that we've been in, that this has really put a lot of pressure on families and really revealed some challenges that we have. I mean, when you have people cooped up in small places for a long period of time, uh, that's, that's, that's a pressure cooker. A lot, of, a lot of you have been working from home for the first time, and now you're trying to figure out what's her space and his space, and, and, and if they're still working or not working, and all that challenge, um, that's difficult. Teenagers, uh, even elementary school kids have been forced to try, to try to go to school online at home, and many of, of them are going to continue that into the fall. So how do we make all this work? A lot of these things have revealed even a deeper foundational problem that, you know, our marriage just isn't what it used to be. Or my relationship with my kids isn't really what it used to be. So how do I make this thing work? It's more frustration than it is excitement right now. Well, we've been noticing that, you know, just as a pastoral staff, I just want you to know, man, we're meeting with families all the time, and we're talking to them about their marriage and their family life, their homes, and so we felt like this was time to just kind of tackle this issue head on once again and talk about God's plan for making homework. That's the title of the message today, God's plan for making homework. So once you get your Bible, we're going to do what we always do. We go to God's Word. So get your Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to land uh, today. Now, while you are uh, turning there, let me just kind of set up what we're about 
to, uh, to dive into uh, today. And by the way, I hope you get a pay- piece of paper out, pen out. I've got a lot to cover, and so I'm going to be moving through it, but there's a lot for you to jot down and think about in your own family. Okay, here's the setup. Genesis chapter 1, God is creating, right? God creates the heavens and the earth. God is creating the land and the sea. He's creating the night and day. He's creating uh, plant life. He's plant- creating animal life. He's creating, and after every season of creation, he speaks out, this is good. This is right. This is how it's supposed to work. And in Genesis chapter 1, so back over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we have the creation of of man and woman, the creation of mankind, all right? And this is what we read, Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Now, I want you to put a star by Genesis 1:27 because this is the premier passage that discusses the equality of men and women. When it says God created man, you know, initially, he's talking about mankind, people, all right? And then he gets more specific, created male and female. So here is the equality of men and women in the Bible. The very first mention of men and women is the greatest statement of equality between men and women. If you're going to wear a t-shirt that says equality with regard to men and women, this, you just put Genesis 1:27 next to it. It says that they were both created equally in the image of God, imago Dei. That means that they were to not only be created in the image of God as in that we are like God and that we're rational, that we're spiritual, that we're emotional, but far beyond that, that as we move forward into the world and and follow God and, and fulfill his purpose, we reflect the image of God to those who do not know him. Men and women both created in the image of God. That's a very important, profound statement. But not only are they profound in personhood, profound in destiny, profound uh, in value, but they were also given the same blessing, an equal blessing. It says God blessed them. And, And not only did God bless them, God gave them an equal commission to go and to multiply, subdue the earth and overcome it. So men and women are clearly created equal in the eyes of God. By the way, this is ratified, this is uh, underscored in the New Testament as well. In, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, we read this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Uh, what that says is that all the things that our world wants to put boundaries on and separations and distinctions that when you are in Christ, you are one in Christ. You are equal in Christ. And so this is a profound statement about the vital importance of men and women equally valued, important in the eyes of God. Uh, Now when you get to Genesis chapter 2, Moses who wrote the book of Genesis is going to do a deeper dive in on this relationship. And he's going to now talk not just about the quality of men and women, but, but how they function in a family. How they function in a family. And in Genesis 2, we're going to learn how the family is supposed to work. How does the family work? How do we make this thing work? Well, that's what he's going to talk about in Genesis chapter 2. Now, here's a big idea that I want to give you. God's, God's got a plan for the family and God's plan still works. 
That's a great place for an amen. I got one. I'm going to go for another one. God's got a plan for the family, and God's plan still works. His plan still works, folks. If we follow it, his plan still works. We're living in a day when this plan that I'm about to teach you is under attack. Is under attack in academic circles, it's under attack in political circles, it's under attack in social, societal, cultural circles. Uh, and yet, it's interesting when Jesus talked about the family, he went back to Genesis 2. When the Apostle Paul writes in the New Testament about the family, he goes back to Genesis 2. This is how family works in Genesis 2. Before the fall, before sin came to the world, this is how God designed your family and my family to work. So let's look at it. Genesis 2, beginning of verse 15, this is the word of God. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Some versions say a suitable helper. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the uh, flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made uh, from the rib, uh, taken from the man, into a woman, and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. So this is how God makes families work. Now, as we said before, men and women, Genesis 1, were created equal in the image of God. But when we get to Genesis 2, you start to find out that they each have unique roles to play in the family. Complementary roles that benefit the other. And so we're just going to take them a piece at a time, all right? So we're going to start with the guys. Uh, let's start with the husbands. God created the man in his image, and yet he gave him a unique role to play. Jot these first things, uh, these things down. Number one, the man's role, partly the husband's role, is to provide for the family. In verse 15, it says that he was given the responsibility to work and to watch over God's creation. The first thing God gave Adam was a job. He gave him a job to work, that a man is created to work and to provide for his family. Now, I understand, you know, sometimes we're in between jobs. I understand, especially with our economy right now, there are a lot of people that are out of work, but they want to work, and, and so they're trying to get back into it. I, but what I'm saying is, in general, men were created to work and to provide for the home. Now, uh, women, if you are uh, dating a guy and, and you're, you're trying to you think he may be the one, but he likes to spend all day on ESPN eating uh, potato chips out of, out of a paper bag, he's probably not your guy, all right? Because he needs to work, 
right? If he wants to stay in the basement and have the headset on and play video games all day and he's not going to go to a job and he sends you out to work two jobs while he says, oh, he's not your guy. Why? Because men were created to work and to provide for the family. And, and what I found is that women are not, when men are not working, there's something in them that is anxious and unsettled. Why? Because they were created by God to work and to provide for their home. That's his primary job. Doesn't mean the woman can't work. It just means that it's his responsibility to provide. Number two, uh, the man is, or the husband, is called to be a spiritual leader. Look at verse 16. It says, God commanded the man, it says, about the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, God gave instruction to Adam what he expected, what it took to walk with him and obey him. And it was Adam's job to communicate that to his wife. So that means that it's a husband's job to be sure that his wife is nurtured spiritually, that he's encouraging her spiritually, that he's discipling her spiritually. It's the husband's role. Now, uh, I, I know a lot of guys have said, you know, Craig, you know, I, 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 my wife tells me I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader, and I'm not really sure what that means. Then I, they grow up in church. She knows more Bible than I do. I'm not really sure what that means. I'm even kind of intimidated that my wife knows more than I do. I don't know how to be a spiritual leader. So let me just say, guys, this is what spiritual leadership looks like. It simply means that you are leading her to love Jesus as best you can. So what that practically looks like is it's Sunday morning, and uh, you get up, and instead of you staying in bed going, ah, oh, let's just kind of do something else, uh, you're like, no, we're going to church because I want my family to be there where they're hearing God's word. It looks like saying, hey, we need to get into a group so that we can have biblical community. It's saying, hey, let's go serve in that project because we need to be serving. It's grabbing her hand at the dinner table and praying and thanking God for his provision in the food that you're about to eat. It's those types of things that are spiritual leadership. Even when things fall in, it's that husband saying, honey, we're going to trust God and we're going to pray and we know God's going to come through. That, those, that is, in essence, what spiritual leadership is. And that is a responsibility of the husband and of, of the father in the home to be a spiritual leader. Here's another thing, jot this down, number three, the husband is responsible to love his wife, to love her, and to care for her. I love verse 23. Verse 23 are the first, by the way, this is a little Bible trivia all right, for you. The first recorded words of a human in the Bible is in verse 23. The very first recorded spoken words of a human and it, God is presenting Adam, his wife, and he says, uh, he says, this one at last is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Now, folks, that's romantic talk in the Old Testament, all right? That's Old Testament uh, wild baby talk, all right? That's what that's all about. My flesh and my flesh. Now, you probably wouldn't say that when you come in the door in the morning for work or, you know, in the afternoon for work. Oh, at last, bone of my bone. They're probably going, yeah, yeah, whatever. But, but this, is, this is him expressing his love to his wife. He's saying, man, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I got a dog that's a man's best friend, but my wife, wow, look at her. You know, yeah, I like horses and all, but my wife, wow, look at her. Hey, guys, never let the wow drain out and fade from your marriage. To look at your wife and say, wow, I'm so, I so love you. Wow, I'm glad I get to be the guy to sit here with you. Wow, 
I'm so glad of the life that we have together. Wow, you look amazing tonight. Wow, let's go out on a date. You know, whatever those things are. Not to lose the wow. And it's the husband's job to love his wife. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, which I'm going to reference multiple times in this talk. He said, husbands, love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up. In other words, Christ is the example of how I love my wife. Uh, just as Christ sacrificed for me, I'm to sacrifice for my wife. Just as Christ redeemed me, that I'm to draw her near to me. Just as Christ cleanses me, that I'm, I'm, to, I'm to lead her into purity in every possible way and protect her and to value her and to desire her. And just as Christ gives a covenant love that will never end, I'm to be permanently in love and be faithful to my wife. Husband, that is your responsibility. That's, this is why you don't rush into marriage quickly because this is the responsibility of the husband to love his wife, to adore his wife, to cherish his wife. Let me ask you something, guys. Does your wife feel like you love her? Does she feel like you love her? Husbands, love your wife. Let me give you one more. This is the last one, the husbands. A husband is responsible for the family. This is a big one. The other three didn't make you go, wow, okay, this is, this is heavy. This one will. A husband is responsible for the family before God. You know, this really brings up this topic of headship. You've heard many times probably this, the phrase kicked around, headship. This really comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23 where the Apostle Paul writes that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And uh, that may, you may initially give some pushback to that. Well, that husband, the head of the wife. But let me, let me understand, let me first uh, acknowledge that many men have used that verse wrenched out of context and have used that in a, uh, as a means to intimidate, to dominate, to mistreat, and even abuse their wife. And some of you, women, have maybe been married to an abusive husband, an angry husband, a violent husband, one that suppressed you and pushed you down and would quote that verse. Let me make it crystal clear that this idea of using this verse to push down has never been, will ever be, God's plan. God's plan is that a husband love his wife and defer to his wife and care for his wife and all the things that I just talked about. So what is headship then? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what headship means. Headship equals responsibility. It means that the husband is responsible to God for what happens in his home. The husband is responsible to God for what happens in his home. And that, that is a, lady, let, let me put it to you this way. Uh, if you're a wife, I want you to hear me. God has put on the shoulders of your husband something he has not put on you. And that is ultimately the responsibility for your home. He has to answer to God for that. And so headship is not something that makes a man strut. It's something that makes him shake. 
because he, he understands I'm going to have to give an account to God for how I raised my children. I'm going to have to give an account to God for how I treated my wife. I'm going to have to give an account to God for the decisions we made. Did I lead them in love? Did I lead them in spiritual things? Did I lead the way in, in really fulfilling the mission of God? That's going to be on you guys and on me. And so this is, this is something not to be taken lightly at all. It's a very, very serious thing. You know, when later on, chapter 3, when Eve does go ahead and eat this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and God comes up, he doesn't come to Eve and say, what did you do? He goes to Adam. Why? Because Adam was responsible. Later on in, in the book of Romans, what we read is that through Adam, sin comes into the world, not Eve. Why? Because Adam is responsible. And so guys, I just want you to understand, this is why we don't rush into marriage quickly. You got to understand what your responsibility is to provide for your wife and to love your wife and to care uh, for her and to be that spiritual leader and to understand that you're accountable to God for how you lead. That is the role of the, of the, of the husband. Now, up to this point, ladies, you may, have, you may have been taking really copious notes, right? Uh, but, but now we're going to turn and, and talk to you, all right, a little bit. What is the role and responsibility of the wife? Okay. And so, again, equal in the eyes of God, imago Dei, create the image of God, equal in blessing, equal in commission, all that's given, right? That's the foundation. But now, what is your unique role in the family? Okay, so let me give you a couple things. Number one is that a wife is to guard and to help her husband. She's to guard and to help her husband. In verse 18, uh, this is the first time when God says something's not good, right? He's creating all this stuff. It's good, it's good, it's good. And then he says in verse 18, wait a minute, it's not good that man should be alone. I need to find a suitable helper for him. And so he goes off and he brings all these animals, you know, to, to Adam. He's like, yeah, dog, cat, lizard, you know, he's naming all this stuff. But no suitable helper, it says, is found. And so this is when then God creates woman. Now, here's the interesting thing. The, the word helper is an important word. Now, un, it, unfortunately, the word helper in English doesn't quite grasp the depth of this word. Uh, we think, when we think of a helper, we think of kind of like a, an assistant, right? The man needed an assistant. He needed a, a sidekick. He needed a server to come, come alongside and, and just kind of hold his tools while he does all the work. That is not the idea of this word. The Hebrew word is azer, E-Z-E-R. And it is a very weighty word. In other words, it's used over 20 times in the Old Testament. And get this, three times it's used of powerful nations that Israel would call upon for help when they were under attack. They asked those powerful nations to come and rescue, come and defend, come and fight for them. They were their help, see. So you're starting to get an idea that this is a strong word. This is a word of strength. Uh, 16 times this word is used of God himself. That God is called, so God is certainly not an assistant or a sidekick, right? And yet, this is a name for God. That he is our rescuer. He is our shield. He is our help. He is our savior. See, in Deuteronomy, just one great example, Deuteronomy 33, verse 29, he says this, Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and help, Azer, your glorious sword. 
The same word is kind of uh, alluded to, I believe, in John uh, chapter 15 when it says that the Holy Spirit is your helper. I'm going to send another helper to come alongside you. Uh, so the idea here is someone that comes in to fight for you, someone that comes in to defend you, someone that comes in to protect, someone to guard, someone to walk alongside you. That's the picture. That said, God, God said, Adam needs help. Boy, does he ever need help. He needs someone to watch him, over him, and protect him, and come alongside him, and be strong, that strong warrior. He said, uh, I'm going to create a suitable helper. In fact, that word suitable is also translated um, compatible, maybe. Uh, com uh, a suitable compare, compared to him. It actually means someone that stands before or someone that stands beside. It's, it's the idea of counterbalance, right? That, that he needs someone to counterbalance him. He needs someone to balance him out. It, this, this leading the family, it, it needs to have two people working together in a complementary way to make this happen. If you've been married for any time, you understand that there are times when your spouse counterbalances you out. Uh, I, I you, Liz and I are very opposite, right? We're very opposite. She's beach, I'm mountain, right? She's up early, I'm up late. Uh, she is, she's, uh, I'm big picture, she's details. I mean, it is all that. And yet, how many times am I like, I'm so glad that we're working this thing together. That we have this counterbalance that allows us to work as a team, to complement each other, to accomplish what God has. That's the picture. That's the picture here. This counterbalance. Let me give you a, a, another thing here. By the way, uh, if you want to build something, you need a hammer and a nail. If you're going to go into battle, you need a sword and a shield. And if you're going to, if you're going to have the family that works, you need a husband and a wife that are working together under God, equal before God, unique in their contribution to complement one another, to glorify Him. That's how God designed it. Here's another thing about uh, wife, a, a wife. Number one, she needs, uh, number two, she needs to stay close to her husband. Eve was taken from Adam's side. Uh, Matthew Hendry, who is a old commentator, uh, has a great quote on this. He said, quote, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. God chose the wife to be near him. In fact, it's a beautiful picture. It says God brings, he creates this woman and then he brings her to the man. It's like, man, you're not going to believe what I made for you. I mean, this handcrafted my best for you, exactly what you need. And he brings her to the husband. Almost like a father, you know, presents his daughter to that new husband. It's that beautiful picture. And it's a picture of value and importance and awe and treasure. And, and, the, and the idea is that she would stay close to him and never drift from him. If you're a wife, let me just encourage you. Yes, be that counterbalance to your husband. Yes, protect him. Help him when he has blind spots. Speak truth and wisdom into his life. He needs you to do that. But also he needs you to just stay close to him. Don't let the pace of life or the busyness of raising kids or the, the pool of other friendships or you know, your phone or watching Netflix or whatever to cause you to drift away from your head. No, don't keep him at arm's length. 
Draw him close to you. Be close to him. Close to his heart. And then the last, last thing on, on uh, the wife. Let me just, you can write this down. That a wife is to follow her husband's lead. Since God has placed a responsibility to lead to that husband, he's going to answer to God for that. That the wife is to follow him. To, follow, to work together as a team. To work cooperatively. Uh, Ephesians 5.24 says, Now just as the church submits to Christ, uh, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Now, listen, as Christ followers, we understand submission, all right? Submission is not a new thing. We understand that's a part of living the Christian life. We're told to submit to government leaders and to live peaceful and quiet lives and honor God. That's what we're told. We're told to submit to church leaders because they look over your souls. They watch over your souls and, and to nurture you in the things of God. We're told that. We're, we understand that we're to, to uh, submit to one another in, in, and defer to one another and care for others and think of others more important than ourselves. This is common. This is what we all do, right? But when you get down to the family unit, how that works... That he says a, a man is responsible to lead out in the positive way and a wife should follow his lead. Now, again, I understand that this word submission has, has been a buzzword for a lot of folks. And again, it's been abused by men and that is wrong and it's not of God. But let me tell you what that does not mean. When it, when it says to follow his lead or to submit to your husband, it does not mean that you have no voice. It doesn't mean that you, you, uh, you, you have to just follow without question. Obviously, I just said you're a counterpoint, right? He needs your wisdom. He needs your insight. He needs all. He needs your protection from a blind side. So, so it obviously doesn't mean that you have no voice and he's just going to, you can't ask any questions. Just I'm going to do what I'm going to do and you're just going to take it. No, no, no. That's not what that means. Submission does not mean that he makes unilateral decisions. In fact, if, a, if you have a godly husband, he is going to love you and care for you and defer to you on, on all things, right? And so he's going to be caring and nursing and thinking not more of your interests than his own interests. And so it's not that he's just making these unilateral decisions and you have no voice. That's not what that means. It certainly doesn't mean that you follow him if he's leading you into sin, or to break God's laws. But here's what it does mean. It does mean that, uh, that you choose to follow him and not fight him. It choose, you follow him and not to fight him, not to resist him. And that's a choice. Now, just practically speaking, uh, with 34 years of marriage and been in ministry a long time, what I found is if a husband is doing his job really well, if he's loving her and caring for her and deferring to her and leading her well and making wise decisions, then the, I've never met a wife that didn't want to follow that. Who doesn't want to follow that, right? But it's difficult sometimes when the husband is not fulfilling all that, then it, that's when things begin to go sideways. But uh, I, I know in my own marriage that Man, majority of our decisions, I mean, vast majority, majority, uh, you know, 99.9% of the time, it's, hey, we're going to talk these things through, we're going to pray these things through, we're going to listen, we're both share our thoughts and insights, and we're going to make a, co a cooperative decision together moving forward. That's how we make decisions. And of that 1% where maybe we're trying to sort things out and we both see things a little bit differently, then Liz has said that she's chosen to pray for me, that God will give me wisdom as we make this choice. 
She just say, look, I'm just praying for you. Don't screw it up. No, she doesn't say that last part. She may be thinking that last part. She's not saying, oh, I'm praying for you. You know, the thing's on you. You got to answer God for this, not me. You know, and that's true. But, uh, but a, a godly woman once told us, she said, you know what? Uh, I pray for my husband that God will give him wisdom in all the decisions that he makes. Because I know he loves me. I know he cares for me. But I pray that God will give him wisdom. And even if he makes the wrong choice, I pray that God will make it right. Do you believe that God can make things right even if you make a wrong choice? Yeah. That's called walking by faith. And this is really what God calls the wife to do. Such an important, important, important role. And listen, God brings both of these two together. I'm almost done. God brings both of these two together in a very beautiful, mysterious way. Look at verse 24. It says, this, uh, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. That God puts the two of them together and there are two things I want you to get out of verse 24. One is that the family, your marriage primarily, should be a priority. You're to leave your father and mother, the, the uh, family of your origin, and you're to cleave, to bond to your husband and to your wife. That is God's plan. Leave and cleave. A and that means that you are making your marriage a priority. Let me ask you, are you making your marriage a priority? If I were just look at your schedule for this week, is there anything in that week that would show me that your marriage is a priority? Above your uh, work, above your career, above other friendships, other relationships, above your hobbies, uh, above whatever things that are drawing you, are you prioritizing your wife? Are you prioritizing your husband and saying, you know what, I want us to make sure that, man, we keep our marriage strong and number one. No, there's not another relationship more important outside your relationship with Christ than your husband and wife together. Not even kids get in there, right? The husband and wife is a priority. A priority. And then he says that you're to pursue one another. He said this whole one flesh thing is about pursuing one another, pursuing deeper intimacy with one another. You know, you, somebody pursued somebody when this thing got started, right? Somebody showed up at somebody's porch and said, hey, would you want to go out on a date? Somebody was showing up with flowers. Somebody was dressing up. Somebody was looking good. Somebody was trying to pursue the relationship. But what happens is when you get married for a while, the pursuit kind of dies down. Start pursuing other things. Hey, listen, pursue and love your husband. Pursue and love your wife. Most marriages, when they start to get sideways, they're, they're not living up to their own responsibility before God and how marriage works. And then they're not prioritizing and pursuing one another as the most important relationship. And why does God do this? Why, uh, I'll just close with this. Why does God put it this way? Why is this the way family is supposed to work? And the reason is this, because your family, your marriage is about something bigger than just you. It's about something bigger than just you. You see, your, your family, how a husband operates and a wife operates uh, compatible together, uh, cooperatively together, um, complementing each other, that way that works is really about a picture of the gospel. 
Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says a husband is to love his wife and, and be a picture of how Christ loves us, sacrificing, loving, uh, leading her, uh, permanent love, enduring love, intimate love. That's supposed to be a picture of how Christ loves us. And then as a wife responds to her husband, she does so in beauty and glory, and she does so to the, to the honor of her husband, and she, she follows his lead and trusts him and walks by faith, and that's a picture of how we respond to Christ. And the, the husband and wife together, this beautiful dance of romance, this beautiful dance of self-serving, this beautiful dance of, self -coop, uh, of cooperation, this, this beautiful mixing of these two lives into oneness is a picture of of God's deep love for us and the hope of mankind in the gospel. And I believe this is why the world is so hates it and wants to destroy it. Imagine somebody came into your house and they went through your house and they looked for all the pictures of you and your husband together and they would take each picture out of its frame and rip it in half and throw it on the ground. Rip it in half and throw it on the ground. Rip it in half. Imagine that. See, that's, that's what happens when marriages fall because the enemy has attacked them. Rip it. Why is he doing that? Because he doesn't want a picture of the gospel. But when husband, when you love your wife and you nurture and care and lead her and accept that responsibility, you're that, you're that umbrella that provides that protection and care for her and wife when you love your husband and you guard him and you pray for him and you, you draw close to him and together you follow him under the Lord and you raise children in that context that glorifies God when you do that you are a bright light in a dark world your marriage your family is a picture of the gospel that is attractive to a world that's hurting to marriages that are hurting See, God's got a plan. His plan still works. And it would be easy to hear this message and start fixating on your, your spouse, right? Well, if he just get these things right, you know, leave the notes on, at, his, at his sink, you know, in the bathroom, you know, tuck them in in the, in, in the clothes, you know, or if she would just get her acting, I'd do that better. She would just do this. It's always easy to point the finger, but here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to look at your mate. I want you to look in the mirror and say, God, what do I need to do? What needs to change in me so that I can really be that husband that she needs and I can really be that wife that he needs so that we can really prioritize and pursue each other and glorify you? That's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. Would you bow your heads with us, with, uh, with me for a minute? Really, it's impossible to live this out apart from God's help. God's empowering God's spirit in our life. Just can't do it. We're too selfish. We're too headstrong. We're too self-centered. We're easily angered. We're, we're hard-hearted and indifferent so, many of the, so much of the time. We need the Holy Spirit to change us on the inside. And if you say, Craig, that's what... That's what I need. I need God to show up in my life. Maybe, maybe the reason you got a marriage problem is it's really rooted in a spiritual problem. You're not walking with God. You're not living out of the overflow of the Spirit of God in your own life. And so it just shows up in your marriage. If that's true, then that today's the day to surrender back to Him. Maybe you need to come to Christ for the first time. 
to need to embrace the fact that Christ died on the cross for you, was buried, rose again, and he offers you new life. And maybe you've never truly given your life to Christ. You, you believe in God, but there's never been a moment in time when you ask Jesus to come in and save you and change you. Then today is your day to do that. Now's the time to do that. In fact, I'm going to lead you right now in a simple prayer of faith, asking Christ to come into your life. And if you've never given your life to Christ, then this is your moment. This is your time. Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me and you rose again. And so I'm asking you, please forgive me. Wash me clean. Take away my past. I release it to you. And I give you my future. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Let me just pray for all those here today and watching online. Father, I just pray, God, for the, for the marriages and the families that are represented today. Some of them are struggling, God. Some of them are hurting. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of disappointment from the past. Some are just drifting. But Lord, only you can bring them together. Only you can heal. Only you can restore. And so Lord, we need you now more than ever. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us courage to have conversations this week that we need to have. Lord, I pray that you'd reveal areas where the enemy has gotten a foothold in our families. God, I pray that you would protect us. Lord, not that we would just coexist together, but that we would have a deep priority and pursuit of each other in a way that glorifies you. So Lord, help us now. We pray this in Jesus' name.